0: Uh, glad you're gathering with us today. If I don't know you, my name's Kyle, one of the pastors here at Center Church. And as we get settled in, let's once again open our Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Hebrews, where Uh, following the last three weeks, looking at the triumphal entry, uh, the resurrection, and Paul's letter to Philemon, we find ourselves diving back into the faith chapter of this letter. And so what I want to do, since we've been out of Hebrews for three weeks, and it's uh, not the easiest book to work through at times, although it is beneficial and good, and uh, and we've enjoyed it, I think it's really uh, made me stretch and grow even uh, as a pastor and preacher. But um, I want to just recap really quickly, give a quick overview for, for all of us to kind of get back in this rhythm again. But also if you haven't been with us, uh, this will give you maybe a little bit of an understanding of what Hebrews is all about. So uh, to kind of encapsulate all that, uh, the, the book of Hebrews is really this letter that was written to a group of likely Jewish Christians who who are facing a threat. They're facing uh, this temptation uh, because of persecution and suffering and a lot of outside pressure. Uh, It's caused them to begin to wrestle with whether or not to return to the former things of Judaism. So so they're experiencing a lot of heat for being Christians in the early church. And what they're wrestling with is, hey, it would be a lot easier. Maybe it would, things would cool down a little bit and we can have an easy life if we just stopped following Jesus uh, and began just to, to do the normal things of Judaism once again. Let's go back to those practices. And so that's what they're dealing with, which is why this letter is then written. So the writer of Hebrews, uh, he, he begins to argue why they should not do that. He, really what he says throughout this entire letter is, if you're thinking about doing that, don't do it. It reminds me, you know, how many office fans do we have in the room? You love the. You've watched The Office. I'm not saying you have to like The Office. Maybe you've watched it. Uh, some of you are like, "Well, everyone should watch it because it's the greatest show ever." Uh, I would argue against that, but we don't have time for that today. Uh, although I do enjoy The Office, but it reminds me of of this one episode where Michael Scott, who's kind of the main character uh, in The Office, he asks his right hand man Dwight Schrute, who, if you know Dwight, Dwight's a little he's a little out there and odd. Uh, he goes, "Dwight, what's the most influential thing?" that I've ever said to you. And without missing a beat, Dwight says, don't be an idiot. He says, revolutionize my life. And then they, they interviewed Dwight separately and he said, yeah, you know, so when I'm about to do something, I ask myself, would an idiot do that? And if an idiot would do that, I don't do that thing, Right. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, if you're thinking about really uh, a, something of far greater weight, which is apostasy, which is, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm stopping. He's saying, if you're thinking about doing that, don't do that and here's why. And so we've seen, he, he answers the question, why? Because Jesus is greater and because of Jesus' greatness in that he's greater than everything that Judaism, well, actually not just greater than, everything in Judaism is pointing to Jesus so we see that greatness and in light of that greatness, we see that we have confidence in Christ because kind of part three that we looked at is because Jesus is that great high priest that we've always needed. While every other high priest uh, only held the position uh, for a bit, Jesus holds it for all time because he is the perfect high priest, the only priests that could mediate between God and man and man and God. And that has led us to where we are now in Hebrews, which is, hey, what does this look like to walk in faith? And so what we've seen throughout our time is we've seen the why and the product of the why, which is and when Jesus impacts your life, it produces a faith. A faith that that, that that brings such depths, that brings such transformation. Because the love and grace of Jesus, guess what? Man, you should never turn away from it. Because if you do, what it what it, it proves is that you never really had it. And so this is what we've been walking through during our time in Hebrews 11. That, that faith chapter that many of you probably know. And so I want to reiterate that these examples... These stories that we see through Hebrews 11 are not presented simply as a means to relish in the faith of those that came before us. Although they are worthy of remembrance, they are also... I I believe that, that Hebrews 11 is a call to model faith in our own lives. And so as we read through the examples that follow uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1, which says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence or the conviction of things unseen, we get pictures of how faith works generally that I believe should lead for the Christ follower to faith working in and through our own lives. And this is exactly what we're going to see in the life of Moses today. Because you see, through his story, the writer really, in these verses we're going to look at today, presents two themes that I want us to kind of press into and look at. The first theme is this. The first theme is how faith bears fruit and has an impact in our lives relationally. What I mean by that is in our relationship to God, our relationship to self, but also our relationship to one another. Faith bears fruit and has an impact relationally. Secondly, though, the second thing that we're going to see in each of these three sections today is that faith, specifically faith in the good news of the gospel, bears faith that is a means or a mechanism, a catalyst by which we triumph over fear. It's that, you've you probably heard this before, it's that faith over fear, right? Like some of you might have the coffee cup that just says faith has the greater than sign over fear, right? Or maybe you have it like the Etsy printout that you have on the wall in your house among the other 35 that maybe you're hanging on a wall in your house. But I'm talking about, man, a, not a, a, an Etsy type faith or a coffee cup faith over fear. I'm talking about, man, when you're met with the reality of the gospel in, in the midst of, of struggle and hardship and persecution, whatever it is, the highs and the lows, that man, you stand in faith and not fear. And so with that, let's look now at Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, where we see uh, our first aspect of faith's impact in the life of Moses, Moses, not Mosex, Moses and how it breaks the power of fear. Verse 23 says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw, hear this, that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Alright, so today as we look at verse 23, today as we kind of uh, venture in and enter into Moses' life of faith, I, I want to begin our time with a question. I'm going to get asked this question a couple of different ways. And My question is this. I want you to think about your life. And in your life, have you ever had anyone who believed in you? Now, I don't mean like in terms of like the way we believe in Jesus, but but, but maybe they they saw something maybe you didn't see in yourself. You have people in your life, like maybe now or growing up, that that, they, they came to you and they saw some potential in you that you didn't see or maybe others don't see at all. I think all of us probably have people in our lives that have influenced our walks of faith because of their faith. As I thought about it, I was reminded of a few different people. I think, man, there's a list of people I could probably name. But man, one stuck out to me uh, just uh, really specifically. And so I want to tell you about this woman that, that I grew up around named Miss Carpenter. So Miss Carpenter, she actually passed away about a year ago. But I, I remember three things about Ms. Carpenter. She was the most joyous woman, uh, aside from uh, <laughs> a few people in here like Trish uh, that I know that are just always so joyous, uh, but one of the most joyous people I've ever been around. She uh, was a substitute teacher in Clifton during junior high and high school. Uh, and man, every time we walked in and she was our sub, like we knew it was going to be a good day. Right. Because, you know, sometimes you get those subs that uh, they're a little grumpy. Uh, but she was not. She was so joyful all the time. She was always happy to see. Every time I walk in the room, she would say, oh, Kyle, like, I love you so much. And and I'm like, yeah, everybody loves me. Uh, but like, uh, uh, but uh, you would walk in and, and she was always filled with joy. The, the second thing I remember about Miss Carpenter is she always had the most massive, colorful bows on her head. It was like she was still, like, she just still lived like a child. And her bows matched the rest of her outfit, her nails, her lipstick, every eyeshadow, everything, right? And so it was like, oh, Miss Carpenter's here, right? We see the bows sticking up as we're walking in the hall. But the last thing, uh, the third thing I remember is that every time she saw me, she would say, oh, Kyle, you're just my cutie patootie. And I loved that, right? Like, I was like, oh, thanks. Like, because she was like a grandmother to me. And so I remember growing up and, and having her in classes and seeing her uh, around town. And it would be, whether it was in class or outside of class, she would say the same things. And, and, and man, she was such an amazing woman. Well, my junior year of high school, some of you know my story, man. I, I really, I had a season where I, I just ran from the Lord. I ran from the Lord and I invested my life in everything other than Jesus. Any relationship I could find, I poured my life into it. Any party I could go to. Any drug that I could do. Like, I was involved in it all. And I wouldn't step foot in the church. And I heard this story later, right after... um, uh, man, I, I, man, God just threw a, some really dramatic events kind of, uh, man, he <laughs> brought me back had this moment where it was like, okay, it's time. And man, God, by his grace, uh, man, uh, opened my eyes once again. And I, I realized, uh, man, that, <laughs> that he was it. He was who I wanted to follow. But about two weeks before that happened, Miss Carpenter was sitting down with her daughter who knew me as well. And she said, uh, mom, um, I think Kyle's too far gone. I think he's too far gone. And and this, her daughter told me this story that Miss Carpenter looked at her and said, just have faith, he's coming back. Just have faith, he's coming back. Two weeks later, at the, I was sitting for some reason, I still don't understand why, I know what, like it was God's leading, I was sitting on the front row of First Baptist Church for some reason, And I remember walking up. It was a share night after a Disciple Now weekend. And I walked up to the microphone and I said, I don't really know why I'm here. I just want y'all to know I'm back. And then I just walked off and went and sat back down. Amen. But if you have people in your life like that, People that have impacted you. And maybe their faith, even when you didn't understand it or didn't know it, they were praying for you and pouring into your life and encouraging you. That's what we see in this story. You see, Ms. Carpenter saw something in me, but to a larger degree, she had faith that God would bring me back that was greater than any fear that I could ever be too far gone. And what we see at the start of these stories regarding Moses' faith is not his faith at all in the beginning. Rather, what we see is the faith of Moses' parents on display and how they respond to his birth. Because you see, following his birth by faith, they hid him for three months. I love what the text says. This is because they saw that he was beautiful. Well, they're his parents, of course. Right, like you look at that and you're like, well, every parent, when they look at their child, they're like, no, this is my child and they are beautiful and I will do whatever I can to protect them. You see, the mark of being beautiful in the eyes of one's parents doesn't take a lot of faith. But what is neat here is that the term for beauty used, which the, 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 I think the real term is goodly, encompasses far more than looks. This term, when really pressed, indicates that when Moses was born, his parents saw something that produced in them faith, for he was beautiful to God. But again, a little too generic, because we are all made in the image of God and have value. And so let's go further. Now, I believe that John Calvin says it well regarding this beauty when he stated that it was not the external beauty of the child that moved them, Since faith, like God Himself, does not look on the outward appearance, but on the heart. Rather, there was some mark, as it were, of future excellency imprinted on the child, which gave promise of something out of the ordinary. Now, while we don't know what that was, we do see that it was God's providence and sovereign hand working out redemption for His people that led His parents to hide Him in faith, not fearing the king's edict. So what happens if you know the Exodus story in Exodus 1? Pharaoh sees that God's people are growing in number and he doesn't like that. Because what the Pharaoh knows is, hey, if they get big enough, it's kind of like Center church right now. Like if the kids really learn that there's more of them... One day they might say, hey, enough, right? Like, we're taking over this place. Uh, but that's that what the Pharaoh knows. He's like, maybe if, if they grow to too many, they could take over. And so what he says at first, he says, hey, all the midwives, as soon as a child is born, if it's a boy, I want you to kill it immediately. But guess what? The midwives don't fear Pharaoh. They fear the Lord and they don't do it. To which Pharaoh says, hey, now what I want you to do, if there's a boy that's born... You need to throw them in the Nile so they can drown and we can be done with them. And so this is Moses' parents hide, they hide Moses. They hide him in faith and then when they can no longer hide him, if you know the story, they place him in a basket in the Nile and providentially he ends up being found by the daughter of Pharaoh who then again providentially takes him in and then gives him back to his mother to raise until he can until he can then be brought to live in the palace as a member of the royal family. And so quickly, before we move forward, uh, what does this tell us about our own lives of faith? Well, I think that the biggest response we are to have based upon this story is in terms of how we look at and value others. You see, as a people who are redeemed by grace... That again was undeserved, but was bestowed upon us not by merit, but by God's good pleasure. We are to see the good in others. We are to have faith for others, even when they might not have faith for themselves. Praying for God to bring the transformation. Because again, even in the midst of that, God is the one that has to do the work, right? We are called to pray for God to bring transformation. Calling out what we see in them to them. Exposing them to the truth. Not quitting on them. I think so often in the church, we're so quick to just cast people off and quit on them. But guess what? That's not what Jesus has done for us. Also, we need to be bold enough... To even hide them from things that are seeking to bring them harm. And so I want to, usually we do this at the end, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a few practical steps for what it means to have this kind of faith for others or towards others, praying in faith at God, not not fearing that they are too far gone, but man, uh, being emboldened to care about others in this way. The first thing you can do is pray. Today, who are you praying for God to bring in or bring back? See, that's what Miss Carpenter was doing for me, likely on a daily basis, was just praying for God to bring me back. And she had faith that He would. Who are you praying for God to bring in that they might know salvation or bring back that they might understand once again, man, this is what Jesus has really done for me. This is what it means to Follow. The second thing that we can do is we can walk in encouragement and accountability towards others. You see, having faith for others means that we engage them relationally in ways that encourage them, encourage them to the gospel, with the gospel, and hold them accountable to obedience that flows from the gospel. And then the last way is that, man, we can practice purposeful hiding. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, I think we have to remember that we are in a battle not against flesh and blood, but against Satan whose only goal is to kill, steal, and destroy each and every one of us. Therefore, we must be diligent to guard our own hearts and the hearts of others. Let let me just give a specific of what this could look like. I believe this has a wide range, but let me specifically just talk about parenting. Like as parents, it is our job as parents to guard the hearts and minds and eyes and actions of our children. Which means that there are many, that there will be moments of hiding them from things that seek to destroy them. Protecting them from things that seek to destroy them. Let me quickly just tell you what I mean by hiding. By hiding, I don't mean blinding them to the world out of fear. I don't mean taking them out of the world. Actually, I believe as believers, we are called to be what? We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Don't, don't blind them to the reality of brokenness, cause guess what? Like, it's in them, and they need to recognize it in their own hearts and lives. It's in you, so you, they need to see that you recognize it in your own life and aren't blind to it. But also, the world around them is broken. So we don't blind them to it out of fear, but in faith, we share the reality of brokenness. Expressing why we do certain things and don't do other things that the culture around us deems okay, but also in the midst of that, we proclaim to them how the gospel is greater news eternally than their immediate desire. And I I just want to say, like, we're we're just starting to learn this. That's hard. Like, that's hard. We're already having moments with our children where they say, hey, can we listen to this? Can we watch this? Can we go? And we're like, no, you can't. And their response to us is, well, all my friends are doing it. Which, you know, the common response I got as a child was, well, if your friends jumped off a cliff, wouldn't you? Which I just want to say that is a bad response, parents, because I remember when my mom would tell me that, I'd be like, yeah, let's go, right? Is there water down there? Like, let's jump in it, uh, you know, or whatever. Like, I didn't care. No, I think the better response when that is said, is said, hey, well, let's open the word. Let me show you why we say no to this. Let me show you why as a parent I'm called to live a certain way and to raise you a certain way. Let me show you why you as a child, man, you, you, you should heed that. Let's pray together. I think the other avenue is that, man, we, we've got to be more consistent in discipling our children. Parents, you are the primary discipler of your kids. You should be the primary disciple of your kids. If not, something will disciple them. But it's your job. Don't advocate it. The church has a part to play in, 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 in walking alongside and equipping you, but it is your job. Get out in front of it. Get out in front. You have to be ready. Be on alert. Like You have to do your homework. Because it's changing faster and faster all the time, right? Our kid walked in the other day and said, Yeah, you know, you're sus. And we were like, Huh? Excuse me? It means you're suspect, right? Uh but we have to learn these definitions now that, you know, as we were a kid, we had different terms, and you know, my mom probably looked at me the same way, but like we have to learn, like, get out in front of this stuff, because one, we're like, hey, we don't say that. Right? We we need to be in the know. Not so we can be the cool parents, so we can actually disciple well. So let me get off that soapbox and let's continue now. Looking at the next story of faith. So we see the faith of Moses' parents and how they, because of their faith, didn't fear Pharaoh. Now let's look at the next story in the life of Moses by reading 24-27. through It says this, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater, of, of Christ's greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Alright, so what we get here. Between 23 and 24 is about a 40-year jump in Moses' life, likely. And what we see first is that this is not a man named Moses who is holding on to his parents' faith. Rather, this is a man named Moses who has his own walk of faith. And I believe that's so key. Guess what? You can't live off your parents' faith. You, you can't live off your friend's faith or your pastor's faith. I can't live off Ms. Carpenter's faith, right? Right? Everyone is called to have a personal life of faith that fleshes itself out in community. And so Moses' faith, as you see from this story, is developed and honed. He's experienced a lot, and he will experience a lot more. Moses, as we're going to see through the story, if you go through the Exodus story and look at Moses' life, man, his faith is developed and honed through his experience of sin, his own sin and brokenness, his suffering that he experiences, the humility that he grows in, but also it's honed by acts of God before him and through him. You see, Moses' life wasn't an instant life of faith. It was a long road of obedient faith. And so Moses, when he is grown up, responds in faith first by refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And instead, what the text says is he chooses to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What I want to do is I want to break these uh, verses down two at a time uh, because, man, there's a lot here and it only builds from this moment. So let's uh, first break down 24 and 25. So after Moses grows up in the palace with all the amenities, uh, with the ease, with everything at his fingertips, he ends up refusing to take the name of Pharaoh's family. Uh, Essentially, what Moses does is he casts off being brought into the royal line and instead chooses to be known as a Hebrew. Because guess what? Moses would have known he was a Hebrew. One, he looked different than the Egyptians. Two, remember, he was raised uh, up by his mother and father for a season and they taught him and told him and he watched the, the suffering of the people that were like him. And so he casts off being brought into the royal family, which brought with it the same mistreatment. And I think the question that many would ask at this moment would be, Moses, what are you thinking? Like, that's the foolish thing. Don't do that thing. You're in. Like for us today, I think even we would look at that and be like, Moses, your position in the royal family could be a benefit to God's people. Change things from the top down, Moses. Get in. Fight for the rights of God's people in the palace as they serve as slaves. Change their working conditions. Man, maybe you can become a ruler and then set God's people free. But do it through that. Like, that seems logical. But also, uh, it's very similar to the way the disciples and many who followed Him viewed Jesus, right? Right? If you read the Gospels, what are the disciples always saying? Hey, when are you going to overthrow Rome? Jesus, Jesus, if you, you're doing all these miracles, but if, man, if you would just come in on your war horse. Uh, you, know, you keep talking about dying, but we don't know. Let's not do that. Let's go and let's do some killing. You take over. You rule. You reestablish. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You see, God's ways are not our ways. And the reason I believe God's ways are not our ways is because we're broken and he is not. And he understands that our freedom is far deeper than the freedom from physical bondage. He understands that we need new hearts. knew that an earthly king that never engages in our suffering and need has no way of knowing what we really need. I also believe that Moses knew that melding into the royal line rather than being true to who he was while comfortable would have been apostasy. See, those things look really good. And I think at times as believers, we're not careful. We don't heed the understanding. We kind of get ourselves into places thinking, oh no, I'll be okay. And man, we just begin to meld and form into what the culture around us is doing. And so while it would look really good, I don't think... I think Moses knew, man, I, no, I'm going to turn from those things because everything else is way easier. You see, in our lives, while the comfort and ease is the preferred, we have been called to live lives of faith that refuse the lives of comfort proclaimed by cultural Christianity. Because you, Even in cultural Christianity, as it said, man, just be prosperous. Just name it, claim it, and have it. Just be a good person. And that's enough. Or... Just hang on to your parents' faith. You don't have to have your own. Just hang on to theirs. You see, we do that rather than follow Jesus, who just as Moses did, left the comforts of heaven and came to us, choosing to be mistreated on our behalf, rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, Jesus took our place because He is the greater Moses that comes from and brings with Him the true kingdom by humbling self to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see this correlation of Moses' faith, the faith in Christ in verse 26, where we see that he considered the reproach of Christ, that we're going to get to in chapter, I believe it's 13 of Hebrews, as greater wealth than Egypt's treasure. And then it says this line, for he was looking to the reward. A couple of things in this verse. I love what the writer's doing here. Because the writer, this is the same faith that was had by those we saw previously in chapter 11. For by faith Abraham, Sarah, and those who followed them died in faith looking forward to something in the future. They're looking forward to what Jesus would do. They're looking forward to a greater land, a heavenly one. But I believe that this, what the writer is also doing is pointing us back to verse 1 in chapter 11. Where we see that Moses here held assurance of things hoped for. Therefore he would endure disgrace just as Christ would do for us on a far greater scale. It was then this assurance that led him by faith to leave Egypt. And in the text it says, not being afraid of the king's anger but rather endured or continued in faith as seeing Him who is invisible. This is such a beautiful picture of faith in Moses' life. What we see is that it was this assurance of things unseen that led him to leave Egypt, not fear of what Pharaoh would do following him murdering an Egyptian. You see, in Exodus it says he was afraid, but what we see here is that his faith was greater than his fear. And so he goes in faith, trusting that God will bring deliverance in time for his people. And so he goes in faith, and he endures in faith for 40 more years, hurting his father-in-law's sheep as seeing him who is invisible. Here again, we get a correlation back to verse 1. Where faith is described as the conviction of things unseen. And it would be through faith that God would continue to grow Moses' faith. Even when Moses makes excuse after excuse and doubts what God could do through him. But what all of that does is it leads to a life of experienced faith that then models faith for others. You see, Moses had seen the faith of his parents, but now he has experienced faith for himself. And guess what? Now he's going to model that faith for others. And so today, are you experiencing faith in your own life? Are you sitting in the comfort of your own kingdom? Or are you holding on to the faith coattails of others rather than putting your faith in God and living your own life of experienced faith? You see, the thing about this faith is that it costs. It cost Moses. The true faith always costs. Jesus says, man, if you want to have faith and follow me, what well, you've got to deny yourself. You know, I think we tend to think, well, the struggle is just dying to self. No, at first we've got to deny ourselves. I mean, we don't like denying ourselves. May we deny ourselves and then die to self daily. You see, the sad reality is many don't want to die to self. And therefore many don't experience faith. And so we see Moses' faith is seen through the faith had by others and faith experienced himself. Now I want to close out by looking at how Moses models faith for others. Let's read verses 28 and 29. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Okay, so Moses lives out his life of experienced faith. As he does that, we then see that one of the marks of faith in everyone's life is that we then model that faith for others so that as they experience and see our faith by grace, faith begins to work in their lives. Look look quickly how we see it in the life of Moses. So so God, after performing a long list of plagues upon the Egyptians, tells Moses, He says, okay, you need to tell the people to go inside and you're going to kill an unblemished lamb and you're going to spread the blood over the doorposts of every Hebrew house. So that when the angel of death comes, he would pass over their house and not kill their firstborn. Now, now for us that know the story, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but man, uh like we just look at the rest of the plagues and be like, okay, yeah, natural progression. Of course, you know, God, He's just He's doing these things. You see, this was huge because there's no precedence for something like this. And yet Moses responds in faithful obedience. For the people. And he does what God tells him in doing so, institutes the Passover, which is still observed, although not performed today. It's still observed because, like, like, man, we observe it, but it doesn't have to be performed anymore because guess what? Jesus was the the, the Lamb of God that, that took away the sins of the world. There's a need to be another sacrifice. You see, Jesus would draw near to us in faith and would be the true Passover lamb that would sacrifice sacrifice Himself once for all sin so that by faith in Him and Him alone, we too might experience death passing over us. You see, this then leads to our last point of faith modeled. When we see that by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land while the Egyptians were destroyed. Now now up front, it looks like a transition from Moses' faith to the people's faith. And I believe to a certain extent it is, but you see, it's because of the faith that Moses modeled in his own life that they have faith. If you go back to the story in Exodus, when God's people get to the sea, they see the sea before them, they turn around, the Egyptians are coming, and what do they do? They fear. They cry out in fear, Moses, why have you brought us here? And yet Moses models faith for them by praying to God. And then Moses tells them, he says, don't fear, but have faith. A faith which is expressed and then seen in them crossing the sea on dry land. And so again, it was Moses' faith model that was a catalyst for faith to grow in the lives of those he was leading. And mean, it's the same call for us. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are to model our faith and and to call others to live out, experience faith as well. And so as we see people, maybe they walk in fear, we say, no, no, don't have fear, like have faith in Jesus. That's something we in our house, we tell our kids when they're scared, we say, hey, we don't have to be afraid, why? And they know the answer, they say, because God is with us. And we pray with them, and we talk to them, and we call them to faith, not fear. And we are to model our lives in such a way. We are to live such lives of faith that people look at us and they say, What? What is it? What's going on? The world seems like it's crumbling about us and yet you, you have joy. And then what do we get to do? We say, oh man, I, like, this is what Jesus has done for me this is what Jesus will do for you. You're not too far gone. Heed the call of faith today. And so I want to invite the team to come back up. And I'm going to give us just a few things to respond with today. First today, man, if you are hearing this and you're like, man, what is this faith that you're talking about? Maybe you've heard a little bit about it, but maybe, uh, you know, it's just been your parents faith or uh, it, it, it's just been like, well, I just have faith whenever I really need something. But I, uh, you know, or I just need to be good enough and that'll maybe uh, my faith in being good enough will tip the scales in my favor. Guess what? It won't. None of those things will save you. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you into a life of faith that only comes through the person work of Jesus. He is the author, as Hebrew says, and perfecter of our faith. He's our only hope. Secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus today, man, I want to call you to three things. First, I want to call you to seeing faith when others can't see faith. Again, who are you praying that God would bring in or bring back? Trusting that God is the only one who can change hearts and lives, that that you, that we would grow in a passion for evangelism and discipleship. Next, I want to invite you to respond in, in living a life of experienced faith today as you think and wrestle. Is your life marked by refusing and choosing? Are you, do you consider the reproach of Christ as greater wealth? Are you enduring and looking in faith assured and confident that Jesus has won and is making all things new? Is your life marked by faith? And the last thing I want to invite you, man, may we be a people that model this faith for others by proclaiming the faith of Jesus. By living lives of humility and by pouring into others. Think, hey... And I want to pour into your life so that you may understand. So we may grow up into what God has called us to be as the church. You see, discipling others in what it looks like to live lives of faith. Instilling them the call of the gospel on their lives and calling them to faith even in hard times. You see, any other life is foolish. Don't do it rather live a life of faith, it looks to Jesus who again did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled Himself, put on flesh, experienced brokenness, hardship and suffering because He considered what was to come by His sacrifice far greater than the reproach He bore on our behalf as the true pra- Passover Lamb who brought about our greater Exodus. He is the true and greater Moses. And so today I want to invite you to those things. And if you want to know what faith means, you can come talk to me after I step down. I'd love to talk to you about what faith in Jesus looks like. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the other way we want to respond as we do every week is in two ways. We want to respond in communion and in worship. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today in good standing with your local church, be it this church or another church, uh, we want to invite you to come share in communion. I'm going to have Ronnie and Sam come forward. They're going to be presenting the elements today. And and, and as you take this, I want you to be reminded of man the faith that we have that was bought and purchased by Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you abstain, not so that we can shame you or point you out. We just believe that man Jesus' sacrifice was costly. And so this is a, a very meaningful thing. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite you up. They'll hand out the elements. You go back to your seat. And then I'm going to lead us in communion together. And then we'll worship. So let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the stories of faith that we see all throughout the Scripture. God, we thank you for um, the faith of Moses. We thank you for the faith that his parents had for his faith experience and and how that shaped the way he lived his life and and walked in obedience to you, for the the way that his faith uh, encouraged uh, others to have faith. And God, I pray that our lives would be marked by the same, that we would be quick to remember those that have influenced our faith and that we would let them know that we appreciate that. That we would, would, as we're reminded of that, God, that we would uh, be praying for others to be brought in or be brought back by Your grace and grace alone. God, that You uh, would work in such a way that, that we would, as we experience what the life of faith looks like, God, that we would model that to others. But the reality is, is we need You to do all those things because in our own power we cannot. So as we're reminded of that, May we remember Your Son who came as the author and perfecter of our faith and brought us life. We're grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.